the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. And hasn't it been quite an unusual last couple of days for yourself as well as as well as yours truly. Welcome to the Monday edition of Lifeline. So glad to be with you on this, let's see here, October 28th, 2019. Trying to figure out what it is. Um, Overcoming a couple of days that have been kind of bizarre, unusual, and somewhat challenging. Well, at least for many of us, the last few days have been Interesting to say the least. I don't know about you, but uh, the smoke coming from uh, the the region of the fires out beyond Vallejo uh, have settled into the Bay Area over the last couple of days. It's a lot better today, but it settled into the Bay Area over the last couple of days. And I mean, last night, for those of us who live in the Oakland, Castro Valley area, and I live in the valley of Castro Valley, and... Uh, it, it was a problem. It was a problem. Sunday was a challenge. Uh, winds gusting early in the morning. Uh, Saturday night, just uh, we heard winds that we hadn't heard in a long time, uh, according to the reports, up to 75 miles per hour. Don't know if we've ever had that in the Bay Area like that in the last 40, 50 years. But the smoke coming from the region of the fires. Settle into the Castro Valley area. Now, I don't know if it happened like that for you guys in Hayward or Dublin. Um, and, and if it did, I'd love to hear from you on that. How did you handle that? Because I was out with my lovely wife on Sunday evening because in the Castro Valley area, we had a blackout for two days, Saturday evening and then Sunday evening and only to return turn to some normalcy a couple of hours ago and that was a challenge of of course it happened a couple of weeks ago but I was out of the state during that time by the time we got back home the lights were um, back on Uh, so we didn't have to deal with it but it looks like it really does look like we might for a while here in the Bay Area be having these blackouts as a norm particularly while the PG&E company works through many of the lawsuits and uh, try to circumvent more lawsuits by uh, making sure, if they can, that they are not responsible for the hundreds of thousands of acres that are burning in different places, as we seem to experience almost every year now, like clockwork. Yeah, a few years ago, I mean, a number of years back, when it would occur, I don't know if you were like me, but I would I would think about the fires that would take place, you know, uh, way up in Napa, 
Sonoma, uh, fires that would take place in Southern Cal, if you recall, uh, Orange County and different places like that. And we would go, okay, you know, California apparently does have a tendency to uh, to have fires. And we would all kind of speculate as to whether or not some of these were, were uh, you know, prepared fires that were done in order to kind of burn up the grass or create for some businesses an opportunity for restructuring, uh, a renewal of the uh, area, you know, kind of tearing down old properties that were not of any value. We used to think that way, I'm sure, because we all are almost always on the edge of some kind of conspiratorial mindset, given the kind of government we have had over the last 150 years. To be honest, our government has indeed engaged in spirit in experiments that have been at the cost and expense in behalf of the American people. No doubt about that. No doubt about that. But I was raised this question by one of uh, one of my members in a counseling session this morning. Do I believe that uh, the fires that are taking place here in, in California, are they arranged by the government? Are they arranged by some power brokering group? Are they arranged by our politicians or, um, Again, uh, some kind of economic strategy for our nation, at least for California. And and I had to say no. I qualified it, but I did have to say no. I, I don't believe it. But if you do, and if you know something I don't know, let me know. one 367 is the number to reach me, of course, as you know, every week. But if you know something I don't know, I'd love to hear it. If there was some kind of intentional, planned uh, uh, fire conflagration methodology being used to to uh, to wipe out areas and to uh, endanger people's lives, I, I just could not believe that uh, as well um, rooted into capitalism as we are and as entrenched as the uh, stock market is in all forms of uh, human behavior on a national level and how 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 complex how complex and and rigged the market is for dealing with both tragedies and triumph and and successes and failures with all the algorithms that they employ now through their computer systems and data by which they can estimate problems and see what the economic uh, advantages and disadvantages of them are. And I don't see personally, I don't see PG&E um, or AT&T, if you will, being, um, I don't see them being so big of a conglomerate that they have the capacity to ruin people's lives intentionally with the kind of dangerous playing with fire, no pun intended, that is going on in the destruction of hundreds and thousands of homes and hundreds of thousands of acres of land, which which then affect many of us. I mean, because when I when me and my wife had come back from dinner last night around seven o'clock. I was under the assumption that the lights were going to be cut back on around 7 o'clock, 7.15, 7.30. So we stopped on in at, at, at uh, Pete's Coffee in Castro Valley. And we hung out for a couple of hours just kind of chatting like girlfriends and boyfriends do. And, uh, all right, it's, you know, it's time to go. But, boy, I, we looked out the door, and, I mean, the smoke had settled into Castro Valley. It was like sitting in a small room while someone is smoking a whole pack of cigarettes. It was 
it was astonishing to me. It was almost offensive, but it was astonishing how much smoke came from the area of the fire into our area and settled into Castro Valley. And it was red. It was thick. You could see it. You could smell it. You could taste it. It was bad. And I thought about the danger of people being in the fire, thought about the harm that would occur for those who were not, you know, tens of dozens of miles away, as was I, hundreds of miles away. But right up on it, I had to really think through what was going on in the lives of people who were surrounded by the fire, engulfed by the fire, challenged by the fire, had to leave the fire, but were right up against the fire, as you know. There's fire and then there's smoke and we weren't made to breathe smoke. Contrary to everybody walking around smoking, we weren't really made to breathe smoke. And it was a problem. I immediately found myself wheezing and had to work through the night wondering whether or not I was going to even be able to do the program because it became evident to me by the time we left Pete's Coffee to drive two minutes up the hill to the house. And I walked in. I realized, okay, I'm wheezing. I got to try to get some rest and see what it's like tomorrow. I was afraid that the smoke was going to settle into Castro Valley and remain there at length uh, when I woke up in the morning because it was permeating the house. I had to sleep on the floor because, you know, you hope smoke rises with all kinds of air that's, you know, heavier than the original air that you're breathing so you can breathe. Well, I woke up this morning by the grace of God, by the mercy of God, thankful that for the most part, the smoke had dissipated, probably moved on by the winds coming from the ocean. And uh, once again, we have some uh, good air quality. Thankful for that. Glad to be on the program uh, with you guys. And, and again, if if this if this experience is something you had, I'd love to hear from you about it. We were out for two days out of power, in the dark for two days. And uh, the first day, of course, you, you just do the typical stuff, eat dinner out or uh, consume the food that you have around the house. And if you have flashlights and other resources, you can get around, navigate your home. I have some independent lighting sources. I don't have a generator, so I wasn't like a couple of my neighbors all night long. You could hear the generators going and their lights are on, and it's like they're kind of like looking like, okay, how come you guys haven't gotten generators? by now but you don't really need them by eight o'clock nine o'clock at night i mean you know you can read a book with a candle you can read a book with a flashlight you can read a book on your cell phone ipod ipad etc um you can listen to some music you can uh, meditate in the dark it's a great place I, i had to really think through what was going on during that time? I really did. Obviously, prayed for those of you who are a part of our 90-day, uh, three-times-a-day prayer team. Um, 7 o'clock was a wonderful time to pray. The next morning at 7 o'clock a.m. was a wonderful time to just spend some time in prayer and thanking God for his, his mercy and his grace and and praying for the needs of people in, 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 in the fire area particularly and, um, and, uh, and, and around the world. Well, what I got out of these last couple of days of inconvenience was several things. I guess I could mark off several things. I had to really think through what are we to be thankful for for having had this occur? What is the kind of redemptive thought we should retain around uh, momentary discomfort, momentary, uh, um, you know, uh, disembarkment of our privileges. 
Well, we are to be thankful for this not being the norm. One, to be thankful that it's not the norm. Although I believe to some degree it will be continually going on, particularly during this fire season, because PG&E has no answer for what it has uh, contributed towards structuring a lighting system, which we need, that is above the ground and is done by cables and wires that in many cases is archaic and extremely dangerous. And they know that they know that they really are pressed up against changing the model by which they confer electricity to different areas of the state. They're going to have to change that model, particularly in a state like California where trees are in abundance above the ground phone lines are a problem. This is not the model in all the different cities around the world. You got underground models. You got different models. Um, but the above the ground lines have proven themselves to be a problem. And it's been to the to the tune of hundreds of, uh, of billions of dollars for PG&E. And, and uh, you know, and that's not going to change real quick. But uh, we are to be thankful that this doesn't go on every day. In many different countries, uh, blackouts are common, as you know. We talked about it yesterday. Um, so, so how do we respond to to it? How do we adjust gracefully to this kind of event happening for us Californians? Because this is a new thing. This is not something that we've experienced over the last forty or fifty years. But it may be here to stay because of all the overgrowth and all of the excessive. Uh, Building and implementation of this model of electrical lines. I'm going to share with you seven or eight thoughts on a theological level for you to consider with me. And I'd love to hear from you on this or other topics, if you will. First of all, as I said, we'll be thankful for this not being the norm. And we hope that it does not become the norm. We also will consider what the proverb says, or at least Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 7.14, in the day of prosperity to rejoice. But in the day of adversity, consider in the day of prosperity, prosperity, rejoice. But in the day of adversity, consider what's going on. For God has given both of them hand over hand in order that you and I might not live presumptuously. I get that. Here are the seven things that I would say that we want to keep in mind. <coughs> Excuse me. One is it could be worse. It could be worse. Secondly, my lot is better than I deserve. I mean, if if I was getting what I deserve, it would be way worse than this. Thirdly, it won't last forever, as those two days being in the dark were the case, and for many others is more. Just these kind of difficulties don't last forever. Fourthly, there's a blessing in it somewhere for the people of God. There is a blessing in these challenges somewhere. We can expand on that. Fifthly, this has to have shaped me for the better in some kind of way. The events that have transpired over the last couple of days must have shaped you and I for the better in some kind of way. God doesn't allow these difficulties, these challenges, these haltings, these moments of uh, inconvenience to occur without there being a design for shaping us, transforming us for the better, some kind of way, broadening our wisdom, our capacity to discern the, uh, the, the, the shallow foundation upon which we were operating, presumptions and things like that. It's for our better at some point. Everything works for our better to a certain degree. 
Sixthly, God's ways are higher than our ways. So a lot of times when we're trying to figure out this stuff, don't collapse automatically into conspiracy theories. Seventhly, God is in control. Is he not? As difficult as these things can get, God is in control, and we have to remember that. It is extremely important that you and I don't lose our bearings, don't lose our witness, don't find ourselves anxious, don't find ourselves overly burdened, don't find ourselves operating out of levels of suspicion that have no basis in reality. God is sovereign. He's in control. I hope those seven uh, areas of consideration really did help you. I'll revisit them throughout the show. But now it's time for you to give me a call. one 367 one We can talk about what you want to. Um, if, in fact, it is redemptive, edifying, uh, encouraging, building up, insightful, let's do it on this Monday edition of Lifeline. Once again, one 367 It's the number to reach yours truly, Jesse Gistan. Take a break, pay some bills, and we'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back time 530 on this Monday edition of Lifeline. One line open if you want to call one 367 Let's go to line number one and talk with Brandon in Santa Clara. Brandon, are you there? Yes, this is Brandon. How are you? I, I am very, very blessed. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, I understand that you are one of our brave men and women that happens to be working in the field of, uh, of, of, uh, of our power lines and things of that nature. Well, as a matter of fact, I actually touched both of the uh, both sides of it. I was with the telephone AT and T from 1996 till 2008. Okay, and from 2008 till now, I work for the city of Santa Clara and their electric utility. Wow. Okay, so and help I us. Give us currently. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. no. You now you're currently where? I'm current. I'm currently um, running line crews, and you know we, we're the guys that come out and. You know, the DUI guy hits mm-hmm. the pole and the power goes out on the guy that puts the new pole in and puts all the wires back up. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we appreciate your work. That is no small work. We we are learning here, at least in the Castro Valley area, that uh, we need our lines up as soon as possible when these kinds of misfor- misfortunes occur. Uh, I grant that you were listening to my opening monologue and you wanted to contribute to our dialogue. And yes, I did. Yeah, tell me and what I'm you here think. For you. Any, anything you want to shoot at me, I'll bounce it off you. I'm just going to make myself available and see what the Lord does. All right. So, so uh, for me, it's not a whole lot of a query beyond the fact that because I've been around for a long time and got relatives who work for PG&E and relatives who work for AT and T, like yourself, uh, Brandon. For me, I'm thinking that we're dealing with a um, a growing paradigm of uh, of 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 electrical uh conveyance a methodology by which electricity is being communicated to our homes that's running up against uh antiquity and a need to change the approach given some of the volatilities that are starting to increase in California um with the uh, with the PG&E issue uh, last year with Paradise that ended up just really exposing uh, PG&E for, for a number of very uh, costly lawsuits. I'm sure you're aware of it. Um, mm-hmm. what, what, what are, what are the real challenges here? Because, uh, you know, in the, in the less mainstream media, uh, 
there's a lot of dialogue, chatter, and debate about you know, why that happened, why PG is at fault, you know, what could have been done to prevent it. In your opinion, what are we looking at here in terms of how to solve future problems that might be directly uh, acquainted with, uh, with power lines uh, busting, breaking, falling down, creating these potential hazards? Well, like if you look at the whole thing in a nutshell from a Christian point of view, from a biblical point of view, we're basically looking at the Tower of Babel. I mean, we're looking at something that man is creating to try to be their own god, and that's this, this world we live in. Okay, whether it be big buildings, whether it be the 49er Stadium, it doesn't matter what it is. We're going to build it so that all these people, good, bad, happy, and sad, can have fun and do what we do. Right Now, that comes at a cost, comes at a price, it comes at people like me to do the work that I do to keep that thing rolling. And as long as it's going good, nobody really seems to mind. Right. But as soon as something goes bad, who's at fault? Well, let's go for true. the guy with the big pocket. True. That's true. Well, now, right now, in this situation, I, I mean, I'm not going to... What I'm saying is just this is coming from my point of view. This is just Brandon speaking. I'm not coming from any other point of view, just my own experience. Now... You can go, you, you have, you have the, this PG&E, they're huge. They have lots of money. They have lots of power. I mean, they literally have the power, okay? Sure. And we all want it, and we all need it. We need our Teslas charged, we need our iPhones charged. But nobody knows the true cost of what it takes to get that line, that power to you. Sure. We just want it. And then when it goes bad, we want our heads. Right. Right? Right. So this is it. This is, the, this is us. This is mankind in a fallen world doing what we do. We mess up. We make mistakes. This PG&E, it's just another huge, big version of man. They're going to fall short. They're going to make mistakes. They're not going to be able to trim every tree. And you can't just stick stuff underground. You put it underground, it creates its own problem. You got all these buildings that people are building. You dig in the ground. You dig in the power lines. People die from digging in power lines, too. It's just, there's just... Either way you go with it, it presents its own problems. So when you were asking me these, when you were asking the listeners these questions about, you know, what's going on with this power being out or whatever it may be, you know what my, my answer is to that? I say us as Christians need to stay in our lane and to continue doing what it is that God is calling us to do, whatever it may be, wherever you're at your job, like I am right now talking to you, your job doing what you do, whatever it is that we do. If we all walk and we stay in our lane and we do everything that I'm supposed to do from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed and I just focus on that, I don't have to worry about the rest because the Lord is going to take care of it. Well, I just agree. Like you, I, you, you know, didn't I, even have to. It, you didn't even have to feel the outage because you were doing what God was doing. Amen. Uh, uh, I, I, I'll give you. I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you a, a some merit on that. I could challenge you on a number of practical things. Are you married? Yeah. Yes, sir. Do you have kids? Yes, I do. All right. So the, what you what you would have stated if you were sitting in my class, Brandon, and I teach theology to a lot of men and women, a lot of men and women. I don't know if you know anything about my ministry, but in any event, if you were sitting in one of my theology classes, you would get a B for biblical theology, a larger worldview of covenant theology and the sovereignty of I'll God. I'll take it. 
I will take the beat. Thank okay. you for the beat. <laughs> <laughs> then, 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 in in terms of pastoral theology and, and sensitivity to the complexity of human nature and our call as the Imago Day to be as um, prudent and wise as careful as we ought to be to render an answer to uh, real and true complex situations, you have to be much more micromanaging or micro observant or uh, micro responsive. Meaning, when we have a pattern of things that are a problem of this Babylonian system, as you assert it, and we we who understand the Bible definitely operate out of a worldview that understands this Babylonian system and all of its fundamental liabilities. We got that. But we are still responsible as human beings for our space zone and our our environment, the lot that given us, that would include peoples and things of that nature. So when uh, the thousands of people that are listening right now, hearing Brandon speak to the generalities of this broken system, they get that biblically, but they still are not uh, as insightfully advised as to what kind of potential uh, changes would would be wisely uh, uh, advised or just on a, a personal basis, because what I was inferring, which will get built up after I talk with you and you'll probably hear it, is that first of all, yes, when we are when we are clear that God's sovereign, when we are clear that things could be worse and we are clear that we live in a broken world, then we have to accept that we're not trying to create a uh, utopian society. But there I think that we could do a better job as human beings. I think that we could probably do a better job. In terms of managing electricity and being able to get it to where we need to be, I think we can always do a better job of making your job safer and our lives more normative. And I'll, I'll give you an example before I let you go, even though as much as I appreciate what you said, Brandon, I was in the automotive industry for many, many years. I worked on cars in the pre uh, um, what we would call pre, uh, you know, small check environment, pre uh, computer age where cars didn't have computers. We were working purely from that combustion engine with with uh, with with pipes, uh, not even catalyst converters. We were just dealing with exhaust pipes and the fumes were going out everywhere and the motors were loud and the engines were big. And it was just an emission disaster but we loved it because we enjoyed power we enjoyed uh getting down the road we enjoyed big vehicles and you may be old enough to even remember that era but once emission control systems came into play back in the uh middle early and middle 70s all of my mechanic buddies who were used to managing boring out those 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 engines and, and and making them more powerful and stronger and all of that were really upset that we had to shrink the motors that we had to put mo- uh, microprocessors in that we had to put map sensors in exhaust uh, sensors in we had to put all kinds of geometric sensors in we had to put bar- uh, uh, barometer sensors in in order to create a more efficient vehicle. And we boohooed and whined and cried about, um, well, you know, the cars are slower. Well, you know, it's not as, 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 as simple as it used to be. Everything's tight now. But after 35 years of uh, revamping the automobile, 
The air in the Bay Area is cleaner. The air in Cal- in Southern California is cleaner. We used to go over the grapevine and see the same smog that I was talking about descended into Castro Valley yesterday. That was normative when we went to see relatives in uh, in Pasadena and in L.A. All because of the uh, the the poor emission controlled automobile. We modify, we modify, we modify, we modify. Everybody that was of of the old guard said it couldn't be done. We modify. I was a child of God then as I am now. And I had to learn that as much as I believe in the biblical prophetic reality of a corrupting world, such as the Babylonian system, Brandon, I still was responsible as that native principle that's given, given to you and I to subdue the world, to have dominion over it, to steward it to make sure that we can do the best we can to preserve the quality of this planet while you and I live on it because you and I are going to die and pass it on to our kids. And the legacy we want to live as Christians is a legacy of good stewardship. So that is the tension I'm operating out of as I think about the world collapsing, thinking about the the, the dissolution of everything because of the vanity of sin. Think about, as you had stated, Brandon, the need to make sure I stay in my lane, preach the gospel, exhort men and women to believe on Christ. But while at the same time I'm called to do that, I am called to make sure I keep my grass cut, my trees trimmed and and keep a safe environment for me, my kids and my neighbors as well. That's attention that we have been called to and it's called stewardship. And so my mind has definitely changed over the years about being careless about something that would simply require some thought and maybe God would grant wisdom for progress by which we could have a better world, at least temporarily, before it all totally collapses. Listen, thank you for the call, brother. And please call again anytime you want to. Love. Thank you for the time. Yeah, love believing. I love believing brothers out there doing this hard work because, uh, you know, God has us everywhere, man. God bless you. I got to take a break. Got two lines open. one 367 1-888-367-5329. Holler at me. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And the time is 547 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Let's go to line number two and talk with Karen in the South Bay. Karen, are you there? Yes, sorry. Um, I have a question on the Bible. Were you sleep on me? Were you sleep on me, Karen? Close. (laughs) I was waiting, but I missed missed your opening um, story, but I usually do anyway, but I have a question on the Bible. Sure. Okay, so Adam created death by sinning, right? He didn't create death by sinning. Well, I mean, he brought it into the world. Yes, he accessed it. Okay, so if he did, if and if he was told, they were told to be fruitful and multiply, mm-hmm. but there was no death, where would everybody be now? There'd be billions and billions and billions of people never dying. Well, the hypotheses that would have been part of God's what we would call ultimate plan is that Adam and Eve would have remained in a state of perfect, um, perfect righteousness 
because when they were created, they were created without sin. They were created in the image of God, and therefore they would have lived forever while as yet they were walking in obedience. Theologically, we call it probational righteousness. They were right with God. As Solomon said, God made man upright, but then he went his own way. That's the language. So let's hypothesize, Karen, that if Adam and Eve remained obedient, walk with God, managed his world, they would have created children and those children would have created children and those children would have created children. And we would have had a world filled with children that loved God and obeyed God. And as long as none of them had sinned, uh, death would not have entered into the world. The question then is what kind of world would that look like? Is that the essence of your question? Right. Right. Um, So now what you and I always want to make sure that we think through is the limited prism through which we interpret things. About a year or so ago, I did a series of messages on Adam and Eve because it became apparent to me that the church world often makes the mistake of looking at Adam and Eve and thinking that they were like you and me. And as such, we create these kind of... uh, false caricatures of Adam being this buffoon of a kind of beer belly drinking husband who cares little about his wife, who now is being tempted by this maniacal entity called the serpent. And if Adam would have been on his job, he would have, he would have discerned the devil's lie. Um, or even Eve that, you know, if she would have been on her P's and Q's, she would not never have succumbed to the devil's temptation. What you and I have to remember is that Adam was perfect. Eve was perfect in the biblical sense of being made without sin. They were not impeccable. They were simply free from sin. And therefore, when God created Adam, he created Adam fully grown, a full grown adult with full grown adult intellectual and volitional capacities, the ability to reason, ration, to be able to work through things. Plus, he had a personal, unmitigated, unmediated fellowship with God that put him at an advantage, which means if he needed to know anything perfectly and rightly, all he would have had to do was just ask God. And it would never have taken even a nanosecond for God to have given him the right answer if he needed it because he wasn't omniscient. He was just he was just sinless. And so um, a perfect world is a world that you and I cannot fully even begin to imagine because we're sinful creatures. We can't even really understand or conceive of how a sinless man and a sinless woman end up sinning against God. That That's called a mystery in the Bible. And so when we begin to conceive of what it would have been like for them to live continually if they would have walked in a state of perpetual obedience because that was the covenant they were under. Remember, God said, in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die, right? Right. That means that they would have, along with their children, all of them would have been under that probationary law. That means that every human being that would have come from the loins of Adam and Eve and their children would have all been under that one precept of don't whatever you do, man, whatever you do, sis, don't touch that tree. They would have all been obligated to avoid that tree. But the moment that they would have eaten it, 
what you and I are experiencing now would have come upon at least one person. And that would have put us in a world of total incongruency because you would have had a lot of people who were living for hundreds of thousands of years as Adam lived to be 969 years. I'm sure you have read the Genesis four and five calendar, right? He lived 930 years. I'm sorry, 930 years. and, And even Noah after the flood lived to be 950 years before he died. And so, yes, we would have had a planet filled with, over time, people who would have lived for a millennium, but they would have been righteous people, and they would have been able to steward the earth in a way that you and I wouldn't be dealing with these crazy calamities that in many cases are man-made. They would have been wiser, in my opinion, about how to create and produce electricity and run them in in, in carriers and and conductors in ways that didn't, you know, produce these massive fires like it was in Paradise or uh, in Sonoma County or in some of these counties where people are dying. This is a consequence of sin that you and I are seeing, and it ends life. Um, short. Uh, It destroys people early. Men, women, and children die every day to the tune of almost 300,000 people uh, as a consequence. So what would have been your struggle around a world filled with people who were doing the right thing and living for thousands of years? What would have been your numerical uh, challenge? No, I would just wonder, like, how could, there would be billions of people, and where would they be? You know, the Earth, um, would we just get bigger and bigger to sustain that many people and animals? And okay, so now let's let, let's work with this for a minute. I love this question. Excellent. It was your typical Sunday school question that that you know three to five year olds might ask, and certainly six to nine year olds would have been working through these numerical equations and understanding the implications as you're stating. Well. Look at how big this planet is. I mean, this planet is huge. You do know that in light of the size of our planet, that we are scratching the surface in terms of the numbers of people on it. I I hope you're aware of that. Can you look at the mass of the earth and recognize that we still have a lot of room for growth in terms of peoples? Yes. And that's because, because, you know, many of us are in the communal tribal modes of living close in proximity to each other. You know, uh, India with billions of people, China with billions of people, America, 350 million, 320, 350 million and so forth. But yet there's still plenty. If you look on a map in, in America, you and I know that there's a landmass everywhere that if we were to spread out the 350 million people that live in America, we would never have a crowding problem ever, would we? Well, a lot of the areas are covered with ice or they're deserts. Well, so, think about so. this. Well, think about this. This is this is what we would call the implications of the fall. If you and I were righteous people who had access to God and had access to God's wisdom, would not God be able to give us the kind of wisdom and uh, skill and cunning to be able to negotiate a world in its pre-fall state? Remember, our world is also under the curse of sin because of Adam. You do realize that, right? Yes. Okay. So like the ice age and the ice, uh, the areas near the equator, uh, areas that are arid and dry, like the, you know, uh, um, 
the the deserts that go all the way across to Africa, the term evades me right now, but areas in which you and I right now think that we cannot live, Sahara Desert, uh, those areas wouldn't have been under those conditions in the pre-fall state because what God had done was made a beautiful world that had the potential for being Edenic all around the world until Adam sinned. And once Adam and Eve sinned, he said, cursed be the ground for your sake. And that means somewhere in the scrutiny of God's judgment, Karen, he chose to allow the world to become subject to vanity, as Romans 8 put it, Romans 8.20 puts it, in order that it also might be brought into the hope of uh, redemption and restoration at the end of time. And so, yeah, our broken humanity is living in a broken world, which is compatible to our broken humanity so that we do not spread abroad and fill the earth with human beings who are largely evil. So a lot of the evil ecologically, a lot of the evil geographically, a lot of the evil in terms of the conflation of human beings with animals and the the violence that goes on creates this attrition that kills us off because the earth is no longer compatible for a fully righteous people. Uh, and, and, And that would have all been different had Adam and Eve not sinned. You understand that the masses of the oceans, the seven major ocean bases, are a product of the fall. That wasn't the case prior to Noah. So okay. the earth was all one mass body before um, before the days of Noah. And during the days of Noah, when we look very carefully at Genesis 6 through Genesis 10, we see a major the uh, reformation of the earth mass so that uh, masses of water come up from inside the earth and came out from the heavens down to create the oceans that you and I have now. That would not have been the case. That means there would have been like just hundreds of millions of more land uh, spaces, acres of lands, tons of land without all of those water basins that we have now for human beings to live upon. I can't even imagine what it would have been like prior to the fall, only to say this. If you read Revelation chapter 21 very carefully, it gives an indication of a restored earth in this language, and I saw a new heavens and a new earth wherein there was no more sea. So what God says is that in the restoration of our present heavens and earth, it will not be dominated by the water masses that we have presently. Doesn't mean we won't have water. We'll have plenty of water. We'll have the Edenic water of the Garden of Eden. Eden, Remember, the Garden of Eden had four major water streams running through it. So we're going to have plenty of water, but we won't have to have the massive water uh, uh, seas that we have presently by which we traverse from one nation to another uh, because we just won't need that kind of disunity. So the earth will be reformed. Humanity, who will be redeemed, will be able to live upon it uh, in a, 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 a very manageable stewardship that would be equivalent to what God initially planned for Adam and Eve before the fall. So what you and I are living on now 
um, was not what Adam and Eve was living on before the fall. And so that would be a false equivalence to think about, you know, what it would have looked like for, you know, people to live thousands of years and it become, let's say we got about 6 billion people on the planet. Now let's see if there was a hundred billion people on the planet that might over time become a problem. But I even think, uh, Karen, that that wouldn't have been a problem if we were all righteous people, because as unrighteous people, we have all of this, um, we have all of this greed, all of this man last domination by wealthy families and wealthy people. Um, I could go on and on and on talking about how wealthy people have amassed so much land that they never even live on, don't even do anything with. And I'm sure you agree with me. Um, that would not be good stewardship. So what would be good stewardship? Only God knows, but I'm sure he knew when he created the earth that it would have been completely compatible with a world filled with people who loved him and obeyed him. And it would have been completely adequate for us to live in an Edenic state before the fall. So I hope that helps a little bit. Well, I just was had two things with that. One, if I have time, one is so Adam would be thousands of years old now and they would still be able to have kids. And then if Adam was fully formed. Oh, I don't um, know about that. Um, that part, I don't know. I, that part we, we, we're assuming, right? So let's let's talk a little bit about chronology, just a tad, because this puts us in the realm of speculation, right? Right. Let's talk a little bit about chronology in terms of uh, um, prodigy. What if God's in what if God in the mechanism process of the biological capacity to procreate made it to where uh, mankind was able to produce up to a thousand years, live on perpetually, but only be able to reproduce up to a thousand years? That would become a manageable thing, would you not say? Yeah, because we're assuming that, you know, uh, that because he's alive, he can always have babies that that does not necessarily, uh, you know, that doesn't necessarily follow. So if God had a plan by which he wanted to perpetuate the earth and fill it with human beings that live forever, yet he had a specific number that he wanted, he could have easily made it to where human beings are healthy and vital and productive up to a thousand years. I'm just giving you a good biblical number. But after that, we would not have to procreate anymore because our prodigy would be doing that. Right. But I guess I'm going to hang up because I know other people are waiting, but I just am a little confused because Noah lived to be over 600 and he had three kids. So I, I have no idea what was going on. See, that's what I'm trying to say, sis. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. First of all, the incompatibility compatibility is this, that the fall had occurred, right? Uh-huh. So Adam is a sinner just like you and I. And even though he's going to live to be 950 years old, because of the fall, there was going to be problems with, with the procreative capacity. It could have been something that ha- had been with his wife early on. And then later on, God gave her the capacity to have kids. Uh, it could have been that they had, you know, three kids fairly early on. But somewhere down the line, the plumbing stopped working because we're sinners now. So you see, there are all kinds of variables there that we need to kind of, in a wise and sanctified way, work through so that our problems are not, your problem and mine, and thinking these things through are not a consequence of being too um, uh, too hasty in our judgments. Okay, well, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, bless you. It was really bugging me. I got it. Thanks for the call. Call again. 
Way overdue. Got to pay some bills, clean up a lot. I might see y'all about five minutes to seven. We'll be right back.